1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Star Wars Action News. This is Marjorie.
2: And this is Arnie. We have a big show this week. We've got Jerry, Brock, Steve, and Jonathan joining us with segments as well as your voicemails. It's been a long time since we've played listener voicemails.
1: Yeah, it has been. First, let's start off with Jonathan with a review of the Vintage Adat.
3: Hello, and welcome back to On the Pegs, where we discuss what's being found in stores and online. I'm Jonathan, and I'm thrilled to report that there are finally a few signs of life on the collecting front. In online news, Gentle Giant has announced their next entry in their 12-inch vintage figure line, Zuckus. Well, actually if you go by the vintage name he was originally released under, we'd be referring to him as Forlom, but Gentle Giant decided to use the corrected name that was established by Lucasfilm. While that's fine for the modern incarnations of this character, the vintage one will always be Forlom to me. He's due to be released in the first quarter of 2014. The Big Bad Toy Store is having their spring cleaning clearance sale and they have a few Star Wars items marked down. If you missed it last summer, they have the Celebration 6 exclusive blue clone trooper statue from Gentle Giant for 99 dollars Now, having seen this piece in person, it's what we've come to expect from Gentle Giant Statues. Highly detailed and impressive. Most impressive. For those of you who still need one, they also have the previously impossible-to-find vintage Tilly's figure for mere $7.99. There are a few other Star Wars items on clearance there, so go check it out at BigBadToyStore.com. Now if you're like me and have been using the lull in new items to go back and fill in gaps, go check out Brian's Toys. They are still THE place to go to find those rare and elusive vintage Star Wars items. And if you are looking to streamline your collection by selling items you no longer want right now, they are offering an additional 30% for trades. Hey, and they also still have that exclusive Jocasta New figure in stock if you haven't picked one up yet for your Jedi Library diorama. Actually, sometimes I just like hitting Brian's Toys website and browsing through some of the vintage items. Looking through all the vintage items is like a walk down memory lane. I routinely find things I forgot about or never knew existed. But this week, the big find for me was in my local Toys R Us. As has been reported in previous episodes, the new vintage Endor AT-AT has finally arrived in the U.S., and I couldn't wait to snag one as soon as I could.
4: Uh, hey, hey uh, Jonathan? Oh,
3: hey, Jerry. Jonathan, what, what are you doing? I was about to review the vintage AT-AT. Okay, okay. Just listen to what you just said there. Vintage AT-AT? Yeah, exactly.
4: Look... I'm down the hall in Studio B recording my vintage viewpoint. Brock comes by with my coffee and says, hey, Jerry, Jonathan's down there talking about Forlom this and vintage ad at that. Hey, you might not know this, but I'm kind of responsible for all the vintage Star Wars items here on Star Wars Action News. What's going on? Hey, but but Jerry, this is the <laughs> no, new. No, no, look, look, I've let this go before. But you need to understand: you review what's being found online and in the stores, and I do the
3: vintage stuff, okay? But Jerry, this is the new vintage collection ad, at, at not the vintage vintage one.
4: Wait, wait, wait! A new one? I. I... I didn't think Hasbro was making Star
3: Wars toys anymore. Okay, fine. If that's what you got going on, carry on. Move along. Move along. Okay, thank you. Well, the new AT-AT is actually the second Endor Deco Walker that has been done, and only the fourth distinct Walker we've gotten in the modern line. Considering how many times they've re-released the Millennium Falcon, the Republic Gunship, the ARC-170, and countless big-wing TIE fighters, it's actually a little surprising how few times they've gone back to the well for the AT-AT. As I said, there have been four releases of the Adat Walkers since 1995, when the line was relaunched. The first was in 1998, and that was a direct reuse of the vintage Walker mold with a few additions and electronics, and a bit of an upgrade of the paint. At that point, it came with an Adat driver and a General Veers or Adat Commander figures. After that, we had to wait eight years for another Walker in 2006. This time it was in the Saga collection and was a Toys R Us exclusive. It again reused the vintage mold with a few structural changes, but it was also the first time we got an Endor Deco. It had brown and green splatters on it and was packed with an AT-AT driver and a scout trooper. As I recall, there was initially a really high demand for it, but after that initial rush cooled, they kind of sat there for a while. The next time we got an AT-AT from Hasbro was in 2010 with the launch of the new vintage collection. And this time, they started from scratch with a completely new and much bigger design. Now, if you go back and look in the archives, when this was released, people were enamored with it. The cockpit held six figures, it had lights and sounds, multiple levels, a deploying speeder bike, and even had lines that allowed you to deploy your troops. Truly awesome. Now, initially, it was released in the Shadows of the Dark Side packaging. But a little later on, Toys R Us re-released it in an exclusive vintage packaging that was modeled after the vintage ones, circa 1981 one. In some places, they flew off the shelves and in others, it simply sat there a while. While there was a lot of positive press for the new Walker, I think that the price tag over $100 gave some people some pause. Eventually, there were reports of the non-vintage packaging version being put on clearance for as low as $25 at places like Kmart and Walmart. This new version is again a Toys R Us exclusive and has been done up in an Endor Deco again. It was originally planned for a December release, but for some reason was delayed until May of this year. I, for one, became somewhat anxious about ever seeing it, investigating obtaining one from either Canada or the UK. Luckily I held off and now I don't have to pay those exorbitant shipping costs. I was following reports of it being found on the west coast and was calling my local Toys R Us daily with the SKU number to see when they were going to hit the Midwest. You see what the desperation for new toys has done to me? When I finally got confirmation of their arrival, I grabbed my $25 off coupons and fought Friday rush hour traffic. When I got there, it was on the shelf, shining in all its vintage-inspired packaging glory. I felt like I was channeling my younger self because I couldn't wait to get it home and open it. And when I did, I was not disappointed. While it does reuse the new big Adat mold, they did cast it in a slightly darker plastic and gave each of the feet a unique paint splatter to recreate what it would look like after trekking through the Endor Forest. Too bad they couldn't mold a few squashed Ewoks underneath the feet. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. You see, over at Republic Forces Radio Network, we're reviewing all the vintage Ewok cartoons, and I think the experience has traumatized me. They also recolored the speeder bike that comes with to the traditional colors that we saw in Return of the Jedi. Like its Hoth counterpart, it deploys from the rear hatch of the walker. The AT-AT driver is also slightly changed. While it is the exact same mold that they used last time, in the Endor Deco, they painted his gloves and boots black. One difference between the Hoth and Endor Decos is the stickers. The original release had a lot of Battle of Hoth specific ones and some optional battle damage. The Endor Deco has more basic stickers and leaves out the battle damage. It's a really sharp collectible. I'm sorry, I'm not classifying anything over $120 retail as a toy, and it has inspired me to begin setting up my first diorama in my collection room. It goes great with some of the other Endor-themed releases from last year, like the Kmart exclusive AT-ST, the vintage two-packs of the Imperial Troops and the Ewoks, and the Toys R Us exclusive speeder bike. Now I know the price on this is putting a lot of people off, but as I expected it to be upwards of $150 when it was announced, as it is an exclusive, I don't have a big problem with the $129 price tag. As I said, I was lucky enough to find it before my $25 off coupon expired, but I think I would have bought it even without. Now I may have been influenced by the fact that I am desperate for some new toys in stores, but. Again, I really do think that this is a quality collectible. And I also feel that as collectors, if we want things like the sail barge or some of these bigger play sets that some collectors have been clamoring for, we need to show our support for the line by not waiting for some of these things to go to clearance. That's it for me this week. Jerry, you still there? Oh, yeah. I've been sitting here keeping an eye on you. Well, I promise not to tread on your toes. Any more than is absolutely necessary.
4: You did pretty good. You did pretty good.
3: All right, guys. Until next time, keep searching the pegs. Thank you, Jonathan. And
2: without anything really showing up in stores except for that ad-at, there haven't been a lot of store reports on voicemail, but we do have a few voicemails here from the past few weeks that we wanted to share.
5: Hey guys, this is David from Southern California with a quick store report. I did find the Star Wars Vintage ADAT, uh, the Returning the Jedi Deco, at uh, Toys R Us this week. Uh, they did have it for the $129.99. I happened to get a coupon that was in uh latest circular for uh, $10, to $10 to $15 off, depending on if you use a Toys R Us credit card or not, and, and uh, ended up getting it with the, the another discount of 15% with a credit card for 105, about 106. So not too bad with the discounts. Um, So it is out there, uh, but I got the last one, and I know somebody else bought one earlier that day. So it seems like at least initially they're going quickly, um, probably because it's one of the new things out and there's much else new. Um, But that's that's, uh, just a report of uh, something new at your Toys R Us, and I'm sure you'll be seeing more of them show up soon. Happy hunting. Thanks, guys. May the fourth be with
2: you. He makes a very good point. There is so little in the way of Star Wars toys out there that I wonder if these Endor ad-ads might move quicker than they would under normal circumstances.
1: That's very, very true.
2: Hmm. I'm becoming more and more tempted to grab one. They're at our local Toys R Us, and they haven't sold out at ours, I might fix that.
1: You're only buying one, right?
2: To start. As far as I know, there was only one ad-ad on Endor.
1: Okay, see, they were good. It's not like they had a backup anywhere.
2: David actually left us another voicemail about a week earlier about Disneyland.
5: Hey, guys. This is David from Southern California, MoMA on the forums. Just a quick Southern California update uh, regarding the Droid Factory at Disneyland. I actually was there this week. This is uh, April um, 22nd, 23rd, 24th. I was down at Disneyland. Went and checked out the new Droid Factory. And, indeed, they are fully stocked. Tons of droid parts uh, no line whatsoever, it was very easy to get in there and make a few droids, so I was able to do that with my kids, and um, very successful, so I wanted to just report that. Other, other than that, there's not much in the stores, but uh, the droid factory is, is going strong, and in, in fact, they're actually maintaining that in conjunction with the Build-A-Lightsaber as well, so those are going concurrently, um, doesn't look like they're going to change anything for the Star Tour, So That's a short report, but uh, thanks for all you guys keep doing, and May the 4th be with you. And have a a great May the 4th coming up here. Bye, guys.
2: Thank you, David.
1: It's nice to know that the droid factory is running well.
2: And that you can still build a lightsaber. I still think... That a lot of kids would prefer the role play lightsabers to action figures, especially when you get to younger kids. You think? If they don't collect the action figures already, I don't know that an R two unit's gonna mean as much to them as a lightsaber they can beat their sister over the head with.
1: That's very true.
2: And now that things are starting to show up in stores and all this convention news coming out over the past couple weeks, remember you can leave us your thoughts, review items, tell us what you're finding in stores. Tell us what you're buying during the Lull in stores. You can send us an MP3 to show at SWActionNews.com or leave us a voicemail at 415-508-JEDI.
1: Next up, we have Steve, and he's going to give us a report from the UK.
6: Greetings all, this is Steve the Ginger Prince, UK reporter for Star Wars Action News, and I'm here this week to share with you how I spent my May the 4th weekend. Luckily for us in the UK, we've got a public holiday called May Day, which falls either just before or just after May the 4th, and this always gives a three-day weekend to celebrate unofficial Star Wars Day. For at least the last four years, we've spent the holiday Monday of the May Day weekend at the same place, Turf Moor Stadium, home of Burnley Football Club. Not to watch lower league football, but to attend the Star Wars Fan Fun Day. The lovely Suzanne and I usually turn up and pay on the door, but this year was different, thanks to social media. I follow the event's Twitter account, at SWFFD, and about a month ago they held a Star Wars trivia competition on Twitter. I took part, and of course won. Anyone who took part in the Star Wars Action News Trivia Contest in the Heroes Landing comic book store in Orlando in August 2010 can testify how mighty my Star Wars knowledge is. My prize was two complimentary tickets to the event, and I was well pleased to receive them. At £6 a pop, just for entry, to what is a growing but still ultimately a small event, is quite steep for me, and I was pleased to have saved £12 that I could now spend on something else at the event. We arrived at opening time, and had to get in a queue that wrapped it's way around the stadium. Just like Wales Comic Con that we attended a couple of weeks ago, this event is growing like crazy, with attendance getting bigger and bigger each year. The difference between this show and Wales Comic Con is that the crowd that attends the Welsh event always seems to be the usual Comic Con lot, or pretty literate in most things geek. This event is just pure Star Wars, and that fact, mixed with the location, means you get a really curious mix of people. You get your hardcore Star Wars fans, like the girl immediately in front of us in the queue, wearing her Empire Strikes Back leggings, and a denim jacket covered in some of the multitude of patches that were available from Celebration 6. But you also get the family who've never been to a con before, and only know Star Wars from that one time they watched it. They've turned up just for something to entertain the ankle biters over the long weekend. This great mix of people made queuing for half an hour a tremendous amount of fun. We met stormtroopers with northern accents, Hey up move along. A hodgepodge of scout troopers, clone troopers and republic commandos marshal in the queue, along with a handful of rebels and tuscans sweating in the sunshine and some droids on the door. Once inside the building the layout seemed much the same as it has been at previous events here, with a hospitality suite that runs the length of one of the stadium stands being split into six distinct areas a larger than ever area of vendors selling their wares, a photo opportunity area, an autograph zone, a cafe area, a fan group section and a kids play area. We decided to go shopping first, and I had only one target, the Mecca Mall 3 3/4 inch figure on the green Yoda card, as I still hadn't found the last piece of XR Kun's prize for the competition that had previously run on the forums. The first store we came to was our friends at Three Darth's Collectibles. Now we'd seen Nick a couple of weeks ago at Wales Comic Con, and he'd said our chances of picking up the Mechamall figure were somewhere between slim and no hope. So I was most surprised to see that he had three just lying there untouched. Quicker than you can say amputated legs, I picked one up, and it's now on its way to the States to complete the wave for XRCon. The Mechamall wasn't the only thing I picked up from Three Darths. I make no secret of my love for the Phantom Menace. It's my third favourite Star Wars film, and I've got a real soft spot for the 3 3/4 inch line that was released in 1999. Partly because it's the line that was on shelves when I started collecting, but partly because that red card is so different from all other lines. There were three figures from the Phantom Menace line that were significantly harder to get than all the others, and it took me ages to find R2-B1, TC-14, and Queen Amidala with Ascension Gun, at a reasonable price for my loose collection. I decided a while ago that I would pick up these three figures again, This time on the best quality cards that I could find. Nick had a carded TC14 of lovely quality, and it was tons better than the one that I already had. At £12, I had to snaffle it up. I love protocol droids, and shiny TC14 with a tea tray and thermos flask is a winner of a figure. On to the next stall, and... OOTINI! Guess what caught my eye? A couple of weeks ago on the C2E2 episode of the podcast... Daryl and Chris talked about the Diamond Select Exclusive Jawa bus bank, and I like the sound of it. Well, poking out from behind a box of comics was the non-exclusive version, and I had to pick him up. He's a really solid piece, and whilst I won't use him to store my pennies in, he'll look great guarding an area of my collection room. He doesn't have the blaster that the exclusive does, instead brandishing a remote rather angrily. The Jawas really are one of the iconic characters of the original Star Wars films, and at £18 I considered this a great buy. By this time, Suzanne was starting to get a bit edgy, what with me doing all the spending. This changed at the next stall though. There are a group of ladies calling themselves Little Misfits, who appeared to be doing the whole her universe thing, selling t-shirts, jewellery and patches aimed exclusively at the ladies. Their t-shirts were really simple, eye-catching designs, and some of them included a contribution to a woman's charity. Suzanne went for a blue Death Star tee, and I'm truly envious as the print is luminous. Now I've always said my wife lights up a room, and it seems that if she wears this Weapon of Mass Destruction t-shirt, she might actually be lighting up that room for real. Not only were the shirts quality, but their patches were awesome. And if you were at Celebration, you know how I love a patch. The patches were iron-on, and made out of sparkly fabric. I picked up two. An R2-D2 to stick on my Comm backpack next to my Star Wars Action News patch, and a girly Boba Fett patch as a little prezi. Our next stop was to say hello to our friends at Starzone Toys. Darren is a top fella, and he's recently been feeding my akbar habit through his ebay store. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't now own a Mexican bootleg admiral. Anyway, I was more than happy to give Darren more of my cash, as soon as I saw that he had the giant Bakia R2D2 and hanin carbonite ice trays. These things are colossal! The hanin carbonite is basically the size of a house brick, I own all the other ice trays, and I'm thinking at my next Star Wars-a-thon, I'm going to do a nice sculpture display. Either that, or fill these things up with a raspberry vodka jelly, and party like the second Death Star's just been blown up. Darren always has some gorgeous vintage stuff, and I like to drool over some of the lovely carded figures that he has. I was in the mood to buy some moderately priced vintage, and as soon as he showed us a 79-back Paplu the Ewok from 1984, Suzanne fell in love. The figure is AFA graded at 75, largely due to some warping on the card, a small punch in the card behind the bubble, and a slight tear on the front of the card. But the bubble is crystal clear, and the figure itself is pristine, both graded at 85. I love the free Anakin Skywalker figure flash that's on the bottom right hand corner of the front of the card, and the details of the offer on the lower half of the card reverse. Being the gentleman that he is, Darren did me a lovely deal on the Ewok and the ice trays and Paplu is now sat next to the Vintage Log Ray that we picked up earlier this year. Having been careful not to spend up completely, we moved on from the vendor area through the photo opportunity area. You could get your photo taken with a life-size Jabber model and a sexy slave layer, but it was £7.50 a pop. Why pay that when you can cosy up to a Wookiee for a quick snap for free? Another thing that the organisers of this event get right are the guests, and it was a bulging autograph zone with a whopping 10 Star Wars actors signing. Sadly, it should have been 11 guests, but the untimely death of Richard Le Parmentier a couple of weeks ago meant that there was an empty table. In a dignified move, the organisers had put up a memorial poster in Motti's memory, and there was a book of condolence in which the public could write a message for his family. I recalled some memories of Richard on stage in Germany at JediCon in 2010 as a way of paying my respects. Even though there was such a plethora of signers, I only needed one autograph. That of Nick Joseph, the rebel medal bearer. Nick's really proud of his New oak role, and the fact that he had the medal that was given to Han Solo is even on his business card. Nick was wearing a t-shirt with a picture of his moment of fame on, and if you had a picture taken with him, he made you wear a medal of Yavin Replica. I love the actors who really get into meeting the fans and having a bit of fun. On the downside, the lesser known the actor, the poorer quality the photos that they have available to sign, and I might need to start acquiring my own photos pre-event. We finished the con by looking at some of the displays of props and artefacts which included life-size Watto suspended from the ceiling, snow speeders, killer droids, furry Ewoks and Jedi Masters encased in carbonite. There were some interesting alternative vendors in the fan area, like the amusingly named Jabberdashery who make replica costumes from the films and some great model makers and diorama builders to boot. All in all, we had a really fun couple of hours, and I'm already looking forward to May Day weekend next year, as this event just gets better and better. So, onwards and upwards to our next convention, which fingers crossed should be Collectomania in Milton Keynes, the home of Superman 4. That'll be in a couple of weeks. And on that note, I'll hand you back to Marjorie and Arnie.
2: Thank you, Steve. Now, in this slow time, I know a lot of people have been turning to vintage collecting, finding holes in their vintage collections, finding those carded figures that they've long lusted after but couldn't find the money to buy. Strangely, I think a lot of us, myself included, have noticed our bank accounts swell as the Hasbro figures haven't hit stores.
1: Is that why we have so much money now? Yeah. Huh. I thought you got a raise and didn't tell me. Well, you kind of did, I guess.
2: So, joining us now with another vintage viewpoint is Jerry.
4: Greetings, exalted ones. I've come to bargain for Captain Solo's life. <laughs> Okay, not really, but in continuing my 30th anniversary look at Return of the Jedi items, I'm focusing on that vile, slob of an intergalactic gangster, Jabba the Hutt. Hey everybody, this is Jerry, and I'm here to bring you my latest vintage viewpoint. Jabba the Hutt was one of the coolest toys made in 1983 with the release of Return of the Jedi. I remember seeing my first Kenner toy catalog that showed all these new Jedi toys. As a side note, that was actually the first time I noticed that the name of the movie had changed from Revenge of the Jedi. But that's another story. But after seeing this catalog, there were two toys that I wanted above all else. A Gamorrean Guard and the Jabba the Hutt playset. I actually first got the Gamorrean Guard on some random Saturday afternoon at the shopping center. And this of course made me super anxious to get the Jabba the Hutt. But I didn't have a long wait as Jabba was awaiting me for my birthday. Oh jeez, I just realized my birthday is on May 19th, which is to say that I got my Jabba exactly 30 years ago. The vintage Jabba the Hutt playset was fantastic. First Jabba was the largest action figure of the vintage era. I mean come on, this is all action figure, he's a significant character with a pivotal role in the opening act of Return of the Jedi. Now, Granted, he would never fit on a blister card, but he's totally an action figure, you gotta count him. And then, not only did you get a big action figure, but you got this really cool playset and a bunch of accessories. Now, After getting this, it was my favorite scene to set up and play along with. I'm pretty sure I got Bib Fortuna, Jedi Luke, and Weequay for that same birthday, so I was all set. Now, the Java figure itself features articulated arms that move up and down at the shoulder joint. The head and tail are connected and that when you move the head back and forth, you create a striking motion with the tail. The Kenner box shows this feature working on an unsuspecting Jedi Luke figure, although we know he never actually attacked in the movie. Jabba's mouth is molded to allow him to hold a pipe in his smoking position. Now, the pipe has a string attached to it that connects into the top half of the bowl. That, in turn, sits on this little mantle, this railing that sits up to Jabba's left. There's also a small handle that fits into the side such that, in theory, it allows you to hook the pipe onto it when not in use. But the reality is, it didn't really stay in very well and gets knocked out very easy. A piece that's very easy to lose or misplace on this item, by the way. Now, beyond that, there are a few features to Jabba's throne that gives the playset a lot of play ability. First, Jabba sits on two doors that can flip up and hold prisoners. Of course, we never really saw anything like this in the movie, but I suppose it's the closest thing to a trap door that we could get into a set like this. Now I think about it, being held prisoner in a slotted door in which I'd have to be on the business end of Jabba's butt would probably be a fate far worse than the Rancor. And moving on. Coming out of the front of Jabba's dais are four molded monster heads. The monster heads on the ends actually are the levers for opening the trap doors, whereas the center heads have holes in them that allow you to feed through a black string that acts as the chain for a small clamp that you can put around that vintage slave Leia figure. That they never made. In fact, the packaging artwork shows it going around Jedi Luke. Me, I always actually just wrapped it around the Salacious Crumb figure to keep it from dangling and to catch Crumb whenever he had slide off the edge of the dais. Which leads us to the final feature of this playset. You also got a 3 and 3 quarter inch scaled Salacious Crumb figure to accompany your Jabba the Hutt. Now you have someone who can screech in laughter and, you know, attack taxi 3 pos eye. Now a fun fact. There were approximately 100 film based 3 3 quarter inch action figures made by Kenner during the years of 1978 to 1985. Now I won't go into today how I get 100, but trust me that's as good of a number as you'll hear, not counting variations of course. Of that 100, approximately 47 of them were based in the Return of the Jedi film. And of that, 21 of them are from Jabba's palace. 21 if you count Jedi Luke, the lightsaber pop-up R2-D2, and of course the three members of the Rebo Band. Throw in Chewbacca and C-3PO, and you could argue that there are 23 figures from the vintage line that go right with Jabba's playset. Now my point to all this is, is that having these figures made the setup of Jabba's Palace some of the most fun I ever had as a kid. And heck, he even had a Ranker monster to work in as well. And today I won't even go into some of the mini rigs that were basically Jabba themed as well. Now throughout various points in my life, whenever I had a whim to get out and set up some of my Star Wars figures, I always started first with a Jabba playset and the many, many figures to accompany it. I remember during the summer of 1987, using my very own Kodak disc camera, I set up a Jabba's Palace scene and took a whole set of pictures of various points in the film including the rancor pit. Every version of my collecting room over the years features this same or a very similar setup. In fact my current collection room today features two Jabba dioramas, one that is completely vintage and the other one that is completely modern. Now this leads me to a brief rundown of what Kenner and Hasbro has done with Jabba since the modern line started in 1995. We actually didn't see a Jabba toy until 1997 when Kenner put out an assortment of beast packs that were inspired by the special editions. They released a Ronto, a Dewback, a Wampa, and Jabba from the restored and digitally enhanced Docking Bay 94 scene. I have multiple shelves among my collection that feature great scenes from Tatooine and I'm happy to have this Jabba among them. But let's face it, this Jabba ain't the Return of the Jedi Jabba. Many weren't very happy with his look in the special edition, and it's obviously been altered as time passed. But not only that that model, and thus the toy, has Jabba depicted in sort of a straight on slithering position. So even if you wanted to turn the torso around of this 1997 release, let's say 90 degrees to kind of put him in that sideways position, which by the way, you can't physically turn the figure, but even if you could, the colors of his belly wouldn't line up all of a sudden. Now similarly to the vintage Jabba, turning his torso back and forth does cause his tail to wobble side to side. Now here's the funny thing. About a year later, Hasbro released the Jabba Palace Display 3D Diorama Playset, very reminiscent of some of the vintage-style exclusive playsets. This one was 100% paperboard, depicting Jabba's throne. It included an exclusive Han Solo and Carbonite figure, which was super cool because it's specifically of Han right after he falls out of the Carbonite. So his hair is all slicked back. The Carbonite block is actually even hollowed out from where he fell out. Now the backdrop is pretty cool too. Obviously not super sturdy. It's it's actually paperboard. It's not corrugated. It's not even a thicker boxboard material, but a flimsy cereal box-like paperboard. In fact, I, I don't even think it's as thick as cereal boxes. They tend to be 20 or 22 point in caliper. And this set couldn't possibly be over 16 point. But I digress a bit into the old day job there. The playset, though, is fairly intricate and big. It's actually 25 inches wide. It has some nice artwork on it. and even has pieces that fold up into sections that form stairs and even a little dais for java. Problem is, the only java available in the modern line this time is that special edition one from 1997. And truth be known, I don't even know if that java was readily available at stores at the time. It didn't exactly fly off the shelves, but this playset would have come out probably more than a full year later. But that didn't stop them from showing that special edition job on the packaging artwork. It's pretty ridiculous, actually. But beside that, I really love this backdrop. I, I actually use it to this day. Now, it was the natural follow-up to the Cantina set that they made a year before, but they literally made a Jabba playset at a time where you really didn't have a job to put into it. But here's what I did with that little dilemma. I actually ripped the paperboard dais out and inserted my vintage Jabba Playset onto it. Worked perfectly. But then in 1999, we got a second Jabba figure depicting him from the Episode 1 appearance. It was similar to the 97 Special Edition version in that it was that straight-on orientation just like you saw in the movie. But this one featured spitting action in what they called real-feel skin. So yes, its action feature was to take the head of the little critter that Jabba was gnawing on and place it into his mouth like a firing rocket into a spring-loaded mechanism that would allow you to shoot it out at the gong accessory that it came with. The real-feel skin was really just a texture molded onto the body, nothing exciting. It was also notable for coming with the original action figure of the two-headed announcer, Fode and Bead. This figure is actually molded to look like the made-up heads of the actors Greg Proops and Scott Capura. If you recall, they filmed some blue screen using these actors with full head makeup, but they later CG the entire character. So if you want a photo and be that is screen accurate, you'd wait for the 2001 Power of the Jedi release. But come on, who doesn't want a Greg Proops figure? Now speaking of Episode One, there was technically a second Jabba figure made during this time, the Jabba Glob. It was never clear to me if this was meant to be part of the three and three quarter inch line exactly, as I think this job is slightly scaled down. But this job was very unique. It came with a canister of slime, thus the glob in Jabba's glob. The head and the torso of Jabba would pull apart from the body. You'd pour the slime into the head, invert the canister to keep the glob from just oozing into the body, and then when you squeezed his head, the blob would come out of his mouth. So yes, his play feature was to vomit. Clearly more inspired from Jedi than Episode 1, but at least that way he was oriented correctly to sit on that 3D backdrop. Then we wouldn't get a visit from Jabba for another five years in the 2004 Saga collection. Now here we got a true action figure version of Jabba from Return of the Jedi. It was one of the deluxe figures released along with the Hoth Attack Wampa with Ice Cave, General Riken with the Echo Base tactical screen, and on a related note, they also made a set of Jabba's Palace Court Denizens. This included a repaint of the Babar Monk, along with first-time releases of Bubo and Wall Kahashite. But the deluxe pack actually came with everything you need to complete that Jabba 3D diorama from six years prior. It came with Jabba in the right pose, the side railing that houses his smoking pipe and bowl. So assuming you didn't rip that dais out from the playset like I did, you could actually set all the accessories that came with this figure pack and have a pretty decent setup. Now this Jabba came with a tongue accessory that you could remove from his mouth to make room for his pipe. Overall, it's a very well detailed and accessorized Jabba and a completely unique mold. Sadly though, if you didn't have the paperboard diorama set, then you really didn't have a dais or anything for Jabba and these accessories to set up on. But all that was remedied in 2010 with the Walmart exclusive Jabba's Throne playset. This set had it all. An awesome brand new sculpt of Jabba with a posable tail and amazing detail, including a tattoo on his arm and even some battle scars on his tail that he must have gotten along the way. Along with the Jabba, we got an all new Ula figure, which was the first since the 1997-1998 Mail Away, and a repack of Salacious Crumb. The railing, the smoking pipe, and the bowl are the same from the 2004 release. But the magic in this set is this brand new throne. It's a solid piece with no trap doors, but it is on wheels to sort of simulate that scene where they pull it forward so that Jabba can watch Luke in the rancor pit. Now along with that, there are about 10 little pillows that you can set around Jabba to get more screen-accurate look of him just lounging around the house. I actually picked this up in Georgia on my way to Celebration 5. It was the one and only Jabba's throne set that I ever saw at a Walmart. In fact, I think the only reason it was there for me to buy was because Ula's head had popped off of the body in the package, so to the untrained eye, it looked defective. But we all know that that head pops right back on. Heck, even if it didn't, it would have still been worth it to me just to have this Jabba in the throne. I would have accepted a defective Ula figure. So what I do now is that my modern display uses this Jabba in the throne set on that 3D diorama from 1998. He's accompanied with just about every henchman that Hasbro Kenner has made since 1995. And then I have my vintage Jabba the Hut set in separately with all the three and three-quarter inch figures from the Kenner line. Now one Jabba that I sort of overlooked is the one from the 2009 Jabba's Palace Battle Pack from the Clone Wars line. It uses the same railing, pipe, and bowl that are used in the 2004 set, but this Jabba is all new, obviously capturing his look from the Clone Wars movie. This Jabba has an interesting feature. If you move his right arm up and down, it'll open and close his mouth slightly as if he's speaking or or yelling at the Jedi. Included in that set, though, is the TC-70 protocol droid. About any of these Java sets are readily available on eBay. The vintage Kenner one can be found in a sealed box for about less than $200, and various conditions of loose ones can easily be had for $50 or less. The Clone Wars Battle Pack and the 2004 deluxe versions are surprisingly pricey at $40 to $50 mint in package. But if Java is your focus in collecting, you can get about all of these 3 and 3 quarter inch scale versions without spending too many credits. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's Vintage Viewpoint. And even more importantly, I hope you are enjoying the 30th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. May 25th is right around the corner, so be sure to pop that movie in and laugh right along with Jabba. Well, I'll catch you next time, and remember, we really do care.
1: Thank you, Jerry. Always great to hear from you.
2: And finally this week... We have our Star Wars action news book reviewer, Brock. A couple weeks ago, we had on the show Tim Levin, author of the new book, Into the Void, from the Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi era, which started off as the Dark Horse Comics and now is a book series. Had a great conversation with him about it the week it was released. Head into our archives to episode 391 if you'd like to hear that conversation, We have a spoiler-free section, as well as then we get into spoilers about the book, but we clearly note that. But here, with a spoiler-free review of that book, is Brock.
0: This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club Liaison, with a spoiler-free-as-possible review of Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void by Tim Levin. Review copy courtesy of Delray Books. 25,000 years before Luke Skywalker, at the beginning of the Jedi Order, a young Jedi named Lanore Brock is tasked with stopping a madman intent on utilizing a dark matter power source for his own means that, if activated, could create a black hole that could destroy their entire solar system. She is chosen because the madman executing this plan is none other than her brother Dahl. Will Lenore succeed? Will she have to use lethal force against her own brother to do so? What are the real motivations behind his plot? And are there greater powers at work behind the scenes on both sides? Such is the plot of Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void. The main character's name of Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void is Lenore Brock. For that reason alone i'm giving this book a recommend shortest review ever for star wars action news and the star wars action news book club this is brock no 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 i'm just kidding i am completely new to this era of the star wars universe coming into this novel with no knowledge of the comic series from which this is an offshoot Twenty-five thousand years before a new hope a thousand years before darth bane hard to wrap your head around that before you start to read Thankfully, first time Star Wars author Tim Leban introduces this world to us in crisp detail in the beginning chapters of this novel. I like that the paragraphs and the sentences in the first chapter are packed with so much information and that he wastes no time in getting the plot started. My compliments to Mr. Levin on setting the stage so well so early for the rest of the novel. The most interesting thing about this story to me is this early Jedi, it's spelled J E apostrophe D A I I stuff. I'm just going to say Jedi for the rest of this review just to make it easier for all of us. So this Jedi stuff, the Order before it became the Jedi Order as we know it. At this time, trading to be a Jedi is like a liberal arts education combined with the tribal ritual of adulthood quest, rather than what we have learned from the prequel trilogy or other EU sources. There are various Jedi temples across the land, and these teenagers must travel to each to meet and train with the different Jedi master, who is a master in science, there's one for combat, etc. And along the way, facing the dangers of predators and the untamed wild of the countryside. And in the copious flashback scenes of Lenore's own great journey, as they call it, with her brother Dahl, we get exposed to a host of these challenges and teachings. Perhaps the most intriguing is that at this time, these Force users didn't believe in the polar, light side and dark side of the Force, but rather do what they can to maintain their balance on that proverbial knife's edge from being on one side or the other. These Jedi tap into either side as the situation requires, not afraid to use deadly Force or use questionable ethics and ethical practices. Being as familiar as we are with the Jedi and Sith, the most fascinating aspect of this book was discovering these older ideals and philosophies on the Force in these ancient times. Furthermore, I've spoken before on how technology, in like old Republic times, is hard to differentiate from the PT and OT eras. And thankfully here, there is more limits on their tech. They have droids, but the droids can't speak back. No lightsabers, no light speed travel. I loved all of this stuff. There is so much new in this familiar universe. Already in these opening pages, we don't miss or need character information for everyone we meet. The character information is distributed on a need-to-know basis. And while that means we have plenty of characters that only have titles as their background development, like calling someone a Jedi Master, we aren't burdened with extraneous anything. Even with the book's time period being a long, 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 long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, the Star Wars feel is intact. The action scenes are not plentiful and a tad inconsistent in tone, but when they happen, they certainly get the job done. If you feel there aren't enough beheadings in the Star Wars universe already, Into the Void ups that total nicely. <laughs> a gunner sequence reminiscent of A New Hope flowed well, and there's a Nograi chase that was exciting. I was also glad to read the No were here as they are underused in the EU. Our present-day world issues like science versus religion, partisan politics, genetic tampering, the reality of a city torn to pieces by war spring up throughout the novel. Mr. Levin provides some strong, vivid descriptions of a war-torn planet and ruins of a civilization. As with the Jedi striving for balance on both sides of the Force, the novel clearly presents both sides of these hot topic issues in ways that the reader, while they may not agree with one side's take, can understand the point of view of the other. For example, the hatreds the citizens of the Greenwood station have for the Jedi. You can even sympathize a bit with the villain of the piece, not with his actions, but the emotional state that leads him to his actions. If you have heard me over it now playing, then you will know that I am a spoiler phobe, especially if I know I'm going to see a movie or in this case read a book, I feel the less I know going in, the better. So you may be wondering, uh, Brock, why are you telling us this now? So while it tells you on the book jacket and the press release that our female protagonist is going to have to face off against her brother, I didn't have that information going in. The book opens with a flashback of Lenore and her brother Dal playing as children, and then you read fairly quickly her brother has been dead for nine years. But as soon as I read that, I knew he was still alive and he will be the villain of the piece. I just knew it. And I give the author credit that he reveals this within the first 50 pages. I was thankful we didn't try to keep the villain a mystery and try to hold it over the reader's head, because it was pretty obvious. And unfortunately, a lot of this novel felt this way. Perhaps I've read too many Star Wars books over the years to get to this point, but I felt I was one step ahead for a long time. Being told the ending of a story and then going back to take that journey with the characters can be an effective storytelling tool, but structuring this novel that way I think did the book a disservice. At the beginning of each chapter we get a flashback to Lenore and Dahl's great journey, a different episode in the tale of how Lenore and Dal's paths were diverging, and then we would flash forward to the present where Lenore is closing in on Dal and his plan. Often the flashback would tie in somehow to the current day story. The flashbacks served a purpose for a while and show off the fascinating ancient time period better than the present day story for sure, but the flashbacks don't do much to further the plot and eventually they went stale for me, especially when her brother finally appears in the present day story. These flashbacks hit home the same points time and again and they rob the book of tension and surprise. I like the choice of a strong female protagonist for this piece, as we could always use more of those in the Star Wars universe, reading how she strives to maintain the balance between what we know as the light and the dark side of the Force, and the way she talks about the Force like it is her soul, made for some appealing passages. Through Lenore, we read how these Jedi see value in both sides to an extent, but strive to not want to be too far left or right. So in essence, Lenore is the first Jedi Moderate. (laughs) We read as Lenore feels anger, knows it will give her a boost of temporary power, but then reminds herself it will cloud her judgment. So different than what we're used to in Star Wars. The most interesting thing about Dahl, the villain of this piece, the brother of Lenore, is that he rejects the Force. We learn he is not as powerful in the Force as his parents and sister, though he does have a natural ability in it, and that eventually leads him to actively choose not to use it. Dahl's point of view on the Force is that the Jedi are slaves to it, that they can't think for themselves. A more typical take on Force users is that they are the enlightened ones, but Dahl feels he is, and it was a unique interpretation of the Force that I haven't seen before, and I want to see explored more. The relationship between brother and sister, the heartbreak of the current reality and their ultimate final confrontations here are not as impactful emotionally to me as the author probably hopes they would be. To no fault of his own, we have read a story very similar to this in Legacy of the Force Invincible where Jaina Solo faced off against her twin brother Jason. Two characters readers of EU felt deep attachments to, and their confrontation at the end of Invincible had eight other books directly leading up to it and countless others before. While the circumstances are slightly different, whereas Jason fell to the dark side and here Dahl rejects the Force entirely, it is close enough to evoke the prior plot. Perhaps to some readers that haven't read Legacy of the Force, all of this will hit harder, but that emotional core of the book fell flat to me. Two supporting characters that especially stand out are the Three-Lekud Twi'like Tresana and the mysterious Kara. Tresana has the richest backstory of all the characters, and it slowly unfolds throughout the book, and we really are never sure about him, especially as he shares with Lenore his experiences with the Jedi. And one of his big surprises is that he drops the B word at one point, and I don't recall that ever being used in a Star Wars book before. In addition to Trey is the mysterious benefactor Kara. We only get a sense of her background. She is left shrouded in mystery. And I hesitate to say more about her, but I very much want to. And ideally this will not be the last we will be seeing of her if sequels are made to this novel. As a whole, Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void isn't greater than the sum of its parts. Those parts do have a lot going for them the learning of the ancient Jedi Order's ways in the flashbacks, the striving for force balance, the limited technology, a strong female protagonist, the villain's petulance, Lenore's dark side practices. It has a lot of actually interesting ideas, unique ideas we haven't seen before, and I'm thankful for that. Yet, Into the Void tips its hand very early and often, and lacks enough surprises along the way to its inevitable ending. And as a result, Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void never came together and never captivated me. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie.
1: Thank you, Brock.
2: Now, finally for this week, Yesterday in St. Louis was another Toy Man toy show.
1: Those are always so much fun. Great place to pick up vintage things, new things that you missed. It's a quick show to run through. It's all vendors. It's not really a convention. They do have some interesting stuff. They have some customers and stuff, but it's a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, sometimes they have artists there doing Mm -hmm. commissions as well.
1: And it's four bucks to get in. That's not bad at all.
2: We went as we always do.
1: Yep, it's what we do.
2: And here's our report.
1: Well, we just got done at the Toy Man Toy Show down in St. Louis, and Arnie got a little find. We've been going to this Toy Man Toy
2: Show for quite a while. The Star Wars is inconsistent. Sometimes there's not a lot of Star Wars. This time, it seemed just about every booth had Star Wars, and I have not seen a collection of Star Wars vintage like this at Toy Man ever before. There were just tons of vintage figures loose, vintage figures carded, vintage vehicles, loads of vintage stuff. One guy, he didn't have it there, but had an AFA-90 yak face vintage. He wanted 10000 firm for it.
1: That's a lot of money, and I hope you didn't ask to see it later on in the next one. I didn't. I held off on that.
2: That's a relief. If he was willing to negotiate maybe 10%, then maybe I would have asked to see it. But I almost bought a vintage Return of the Jedi Paplu. I was really ready to make an offer on it. They had 50 as the asking price. It was on a slightly warped card. I didn't see any visible creases. The bubble wasn't at all yellow. Looked really good. They also had the Power of the Jedi one with the coin, but that was kind of yellow and had a lot of creasing. This one looked pretty good. I checked eBay. I walked away from the booth first and went outside and checked eBay. 50 seemed to be an average price. I don't like to buy at average prices. I like to buy at bargains. If it's an average price, why buy today? I don't have a gun to my head to buy that figure today. But in hand being able to examine it, if I could have talked her down maybe 5 bucks, I was going to buy it till I saw the pop was cut out. And the ones I was seeing on eBay in similar condition, not AFA graded, with pop, were only going for 50. So I decided to pass. I preferred to not have the ones with the pops cut out. I did end up with one vintage figure. There was one booth that had quite a few vintage figures in it, but there was one that was catching my eye. It was an Empire Strikes Back AT-AT Commander, and it did not have any yellow on the bubble. It had the pop intact. They were only asking $25 for it, but the one thing I noticed is the bubble is separating just a little bit from the card, just in the top corner, so that is a pretty major flaw for something like that, but it's so not visible unless you look at it from the side. I decided that even though someday down the line I may upgrade, if he would take $20 for it, I couldn't pass it up. It would be my second Empire Strikes Back carded figure after the Yoda. And he took $20 for the AT-AT Commander. So I was real happy to get that one.
1: Yeah, that's a good price. And this is a way to pick them up as, as you find them and to get deals on them. And you also picked up a piece of art little custom sketch because they've started having more artists at the Toy Man Toy Show, some local people. Sometimes they have people who are known for more national thing, not Star Wars or anything like that. But you did pick up a piece of art today.
2: Yeah, it turns out from C2E2 last year and then Wizard World and now at Toy Man, Nathan Orlendorf is a local St. Louis artist who does these really cute kind of style of sketches and you'd gotten some stuff from him in the past I ended up having him do a Greedo to add to my growing collection of custom Greedo art and it's a real comic booky kind of cutesy Greedo that goes kind of really well with the one I got just a couple weeks ago at free comic book day at Star Clipper.
1: Yeah it's great he's got big eyes I kind of I like his little style that he does I do have a few that he's done as well.
2: Yeah, I think we need to stop getting art from him, but the problem is I think you and I both just like his style of cutesy. I like either the cute art, like superhero squad kind of style, or really serious, nice depictions of art. And he does a really good job of it, and it was $20 for a custom sketch done right there. He spent a good half hour, 45 minutes on it. And just did a wonderful job. Just a big fan of his work. But the problem is, every time we go, I'm like, "Oh, look at that cool art!" And it's always the same guy.
1: Yeah, I just like to get convention sketches. Twenty-five dollars is my limit, especially if they're doing them there on the fly. Those are so much more fun. A lot of times, you get a lot more personality in those too. So I really like to get those. And he's one of the people who does convention sketches, and he charges twenty bucks, and it's a great deal.
2: But. As we always say, Toy Man Toy Show is so hit or miss. You never know what you're going to find Star Wars, but there were Death Star play sets. An absolute ton, just a ton of modern figures, Power of the Force 2 on.
1: And I won a door prize and scored you two hard-to-find movie hero figures. Yeah,
2: the light-up Qui-Gon and the light-up Obi-Wan, they were... Gifts for the door prize, you could pick five things. You also picked the movie heroes Jar Jar, equally hard to find. Yes, and I love Jar Jar. So a nice little prize there for just every time you go, you fill out the entry form to get on the mailing list, and they have the drawing. I couldn't believe you won.
1: I know. I was the first person they called because they do it on every hour. And a lot of times they give away fun stuff like they have a prize table, and they've also got free lifetime admission. That's the one I think would be really cool to win.
2: We go often enough. We didn't do early bird this time, it was really nice last time because the aisles weren't crowded at all, but I just decided that it cost so much more to go early bird and it just wasn't worth it on this trip. Finally, right when we walked in the door, I bought a couple of episode 1 items. I never got the feed hanger. It was one of the later episode 1 play sets, came with a battle droid, and they had that at one table, as well as the Micro Machines But I was asking how much they wanted. They said 15 for both. I said, okay, I'll take both. You see, you had a need for (laughs) Thede? So, a bountiful Toy Man toy show this time, but that's not all. In addition to Toy Man, we found a local toy seller who used to go to Toy Man, stopped going 10 years ago, having a toy sale out of his house. And he had Star Wars, Marvel. A-Team, G.I. Joe, tons of stuff from the 80s and 90s.
1: Yeah, he had a lot of stuff. He was a little bit high priced, higher than eBay, and higher than most toy sales that we've been to. And he just didn't feel like lugging it around the shows anymore. I picked up an R2-D2 Bendem. I love the Bendem line. I don't, can't explain it. I don't know why. I love these things. So I got the R2-D2, and then you picked up some stuff.
2: Yeah, you're right. He was overpriced. There was a lot of stuff there I wanted you and i almost bit on a boba fett cake pan it came with the original instructions and insert sheets it had a little bit of chipping off the chrome he wanted 45 for it which you said after shipping is about that or more on ebay
1: yeah and it looked like it had never ever ever been used a lot of the ones you're finding have been used this was still the nice pristine bake pan color and everything but what am I going to do with it? I'm not collecting the cake pans. Yeah, I'd love to be able to make a cake like that, but you know what? No, I'm not going to have time nor the artistic talent to make a Boba Fett cake.
2: He had the R2-D2 pan as well, wanting the same price. A lot more of the finish had come off that one. It didn't have the inserts. But to give people an idea of his overpricedness, the Power of the Force 2 figures, he wanted between 7 and 10 per figure. I saw those here at Toyman for 1 to 2 per figure. He wanted 40 for the Shadows of the Empire Boba Fett IG-88 pack, which I saw here at the con for about $15. So he was really overpriced and there was not much I was going to buy. I also came really close to buying the Star Wars Storybook with the 33 RPM record still shrink wrapped for 10 but. I was pretty sure I had it, and I know I have it on audio cassette. I think I have it also on vinyl. But he had some books there that he only wanted about $2 a piece for. Vintage books in nice condition. Little story books like Ewoks and things like that from Return of the Jedi era. So I did end up picking those up.
1: So it wasn't too bad. You bought a lot of toys in two days.
2: Or kind of, sort of. And not just that, but... When we were recording just yesterday and I was saying, I was thinking about picking up the ad-at, yakface.com put on Facebook that Toys R Us had in their Sunday flyer a 20% off coupon. So while we were down here in St. Louis, we hit a Toys R Us and I got $30 off an ad-at.
1: That is pretty super awesome.
2: I'm jazzed about that. It's actually, it was $130 for the ad-at and 20% of that is $26 off. That's a really good price for this vintage vehicle. They had one there in really nice condition. So, now I have picked up that ad at based on Jonathan's review and the voicemail we played earlier about only getting two per store. I can just check that off the list and now I'm back to having no Hasbro toys to look forward to the Black Series hits. So, definitely try to get a Sunday newspaper 3 to get that coupon. So, yeah, it was a terrific trip. My trunk is full of toys right now, and the ad ad had to go in the back seat, didn't fit in the trunk anymore, so we are heading back with a whole load of new toys, and that is our show for this week.
1: And we also want to let you know about a contest that Diorama Workshop is having. Most of you know Frank from Celebration, where he builds the awesome, awesome, huge dioramas. He's having a contest where you can go vote on different dioramas, and... The winner will be picked by Steve Sansweet, and that person will win the diorama to take home, which is kind of cool. So you'll have a Frank Diorio diorama in your house. That
2: is very awesome. I have drooled over his stuff. Many, many times. Definitely check that out at dioramaworkshop.com.
1: That's our show for this week. I
2: want to thank Steve, Jerry, Jonathan, and Brock for your segments this week. And we'll be back next week in our studio. No more mobile recording equipment.
1: Yeah, we're working on getting that all put together. and We're going to have all of our recording equipment moved and the new setup in the studio, which is going to be really nice.
2: So we'll talk to you from the new studio next week.
0: Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at swactionnews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at swactionnews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook and Twitter. The links to our social media sites are at swactionnews.com. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at swactionnews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that podcast at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please check out galactichunter.com, jedidefender.com, Jedi Archives.com, and yakface.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. You can help support Star Wars Action News by making a donation using the Donate button at SWActionNews.com or by using affiliate links on the Star Wars Action News homepage when shopping online. Your support helps keep Star Wars Action News on the air. We also appreciate it if you would spread the word about Star Wars Action News. If you enjoyed the show, please post about Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, or your social media network of choice, or just tell a friend about the show. We would also greatly appreciate appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes page is at SWActionNews.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is segment reporters Jerry, Brock, Jonathan, Nathan, and Steve. Graphic design by Chris. Image editing by Jay. Podcast enhancement by Andrew and Berent. Associate produced and podcast announcements by Brock. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, all rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you.
1: But it kind of sounded like you were saying that you had John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt coming on.
2: His name is my name, too.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank God I didn't get that last name in this deal.
2: Marjorie Jingleheimer Schmidt. Na, 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 na.